Seahawks Man to Man is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. Whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to mantoman.robinhood.com. That's mantoman.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rmbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on the tweet machine, at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. I'm verified, so if you didn't catch that, just look for the, the blue check. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206, and that's C-Kidd-206. All right, we have, like, uh, one of my favorite guests to have on the show. Like, I mean, I love his insights, and I love the stuff he writes and the work he does as well, but I just love that it seems every time we have him on the show, it's because he has set the world on fire uh, in some way, shape, or form, and it has happened again, and I am very glad we get to talk about it as the Seahawks season has come to an end. We have the homie who writes for The Athletic as well, Ben Baldwin. Ben, what up, man? Hey, how's it going? Uh, thanks for having me. Love the podcast, and last time we heard you, you were somewhere in Milwaukee, so I'm, I'm glad that you escaped from there safely. Oh, man, escape is a great word. <laughs> that is such an appropriate word for what it took for me to get out of the state of Wisconsin and and the state of Minnesota. Uh, I was unfortunately in for a long time. Uh, but, Ben, we have you here uh, because you once again have broken the internet and Seahawks Twitter and... Uh, reached all the way to, to ESPN with your latest piece for The Athletic, headlined, quote, is Pete Carroll the right coach for this version of the Seahawks? Now, if you haven't read that and you're listening to us right now, please stop what you're doing, press pause, and go do that because the whole rest of this conversation is going to stem from a, lo- uh, a lot of what was written in that article. I enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot of nuance there, a lot more than – normal pieces that just say, hey, fire the coach. Um, so, Ben, I know you obviously are ready for the Seahawks to move on from Pete, but what I gathered from a lot of your tweets and stories and this last like column here is that the last two seasons, 2018 and 2019 Seahawks seasons, have uh, sort of been like a, a almost like a test or a measuring stick for uh, whether Pete Carroll should stay or go, and obviously it sounds like the 2019 season was the final straw. A, is that accurate? And if so, why why were those two seasons so important in terms of whether Pete should stay or go? Yeah, that's right. So I I guess it all kind of goes back to what happened after the 2017 season. And, and it kind of felt like the Seahawks were at something of a crossroads then. And they, um, they had just passed a lot because the running game was so bad and the results probably weren't what Pete Carroll wanted. And um, there was kind of this 
open canvas about what the Seahawks could be in the future. And um, the way they responded to that was to basically double down on everything Pete Carroll believes on. So he hired uh, Brian Schottenheimer, a coach that very much aligned with his vision for what offense should look like. Uh, he hired Ken Norton Jr., which felt like just doing something that he was familiar with. Um, and yes, I, I totally agree with your point that who the defensive coordinator absolutely does not matter. So this, this isn't me saying that Ken Norton was a bad hire or something, but just that Pete Carroll's vision of the team was going to be, it was going to continue to be exactly what Pete Carroll wanted without really any change. Um, we saw the, the first season, 2018, um, I think we did see some encouraging signs of Wilson working with Schottenheimer where his pocket movement was better and he wasn't taking so many bad sacks or making so many hugely negative plays. But the um, the, the playoff game um, in Dallas, uh, which was also extensively talked about afterwards, that was very discouraging. And, and after that, I was my thought was that was very bad. They lost in part because of bad choices they made and not letting Wilson loose until the last moment. Um, let's see if they learn anything from this. And I'm, I'm okay waiting one more season to see what happens. And mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was this season. And um, the playoff games weren't exactly the same. They didn't fall in a huge hole against Dallas. But um, in both games, the offense didn't do a lot until late in the game. It didn't feel like they really unleashed the offense in Wilson until later than they needed to and, and ultimately fell short. So because of all that, and sorry that this is a very long answer. I'm I'm ready to see what would happen with a different kind of team around Wilson. No, I actually no, I, I like that answer because uh, I I didn't think of those these last two seasons that way until kind of I was seeing like man Ben's onto something here because yeah you're right after 2017 Pete could have went v- two very different ways because I think after honestly after 2015 he could have reached a point where uh, he was like you know. Russ can actually sling it, and we can build an offense around him and be fine. You know that could work. Instead, he was like, like you mentioned, like no, 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 no. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna run this ball into the ground. Uh, it was like almost like a live. You know how NBA people say live by the three, die by the three. He was like, you know, we're gonna live by the run or die by the run. So I would. So in terms of the 2019 season, was it like a pass fail thing? Did did Pete kind of fail in in that way in your eyes? Yeah, and so one of the primary gripes in 2018 was that they were adjusting for how often they were ahead um, and the situations they faced themselves in. They were the run heaviest team in the league in 2018. And uh, in 2019, they were about the 10th run heaviest team or something. So yes, there was improvement, but that was also balanced out by all the crazy decisions they made on fourth downs and the game management stuff and the delay of game in San Francisco. And just like, you never at least in my opinion, you never went into a game feeling like Seattle has a coaching advantage in this matchup. And and like you said in your column, it it just felt like uh, the Packers, for example, had coaches that put their players in better positions to succeed than uh, the Seahawks. They they made life easier on their players, which is what the coaching staff, that's what their job should be. Yeah, I think beyond the Packers as well, I think uh, San Francisco has really put its team in a good position to succeed as well. Uh, you mentioned I wrote a column as well recently, uh, kind of like a, uh, the other side of the of the coin, if you will, why Pete Carroll is still the right man for the Seahawks, kind of acknowledging a lot of the points you made and, and, and making some of my own. One of the ones th- that I made was uh, that, and you've acknowledged this too, if the Seahawks were to get a new coach, 
the floor on the on what that coach could be here in Seattle is perhaps lower uh, than what Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is a high floor coach, so as you as you've seen since he's had Russ, or since every year he's been here, he's won at least what seven games, uh, I believe, which is a relatively high floor because we've seen it get a lot worse in a lot of other uh, places here. Where are you on the idea of, like, or maybe the fear that people have is like, hey man, we can't fire Pete because then what if we stink? You know, what if the new coach? Has a couple has three and thirteen in him, which is something we don't believe to that Pete will ever really drop to. Yeah, so I think it's the discussion is so interesting because people who dis- disagree what the Seahawks should do agree on like all the facts behind everything. So, uh, so you and I agree that um, Pete Carroll is a great culture builder. Um, the continuity is valuable. Um, he's very good at motivating his players and they always play hard. They don't get blown out. Um, all these good things about him. We also agree that, um, his approach to game management and some other things are, um, not ideal and he does get out coached on Sundays. Um, and if they were to make a coaching change, the, the likelihood that they would have a down year would increase. Um, we, we agree with everything so far, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So, so all so all that is kind of behind us. The, the, that's kind of the choices available. And then the question is, um, do you care about stability more and knowing that season in, season out, you're going to almost surely have a winning record. You're going to have a good shot at making the playoffs. You might not get many, if any, home games in the playoffs, and that makes the road to the Super Bowl hard, but you're going to be winning a lot of regular season games and being uh, an entertaining, fun team to watch. And for those people in the building, um, a, a fun environment to be around. That's kind of the, the stability and, and the known that Carol brings. Yep, the, yep. the argument for replacing him is looking at a team like the Chiefs. And yes, they have a talent advantage because Mahomes is still on a rookie deal. So it's not a completely fair comparison. But at the same time, um, they've put a lot more talent around Mahomes. Their offense is a lot more um, designed to put defenses in um, hard situations and create um, easy throws and um, make Mahomes' life as easy as possible. And um, I think the Seahawks fans who really believe in Russell Wilson think that if he was an offense designed like the Chiefs' offense, then um, the Seahawks would be in better position to win the division and get home playoff games and, and hopefully get to more Super Bowls. We all know the Seahawks were probably going to bring back Russell Wilson and had no intentions of letting him walk, and they paid the man handsomely well, making him one of the highest players paid in history. With that being said, what other system do you think Russell could flourish in had the Seahawks decided not to pay this man? He he was able to you know see if another team could he can land with a different team. What team would that have been where it had been a perfect fit? Maybe Sean Payton with new Orleans. What do you think in, in that regard? So I, I think Payton or, well, a lot of, a lot of teams that could be the answer already have quarterbacks. So like I could say the chiefs or the Ravens, but um, they have quarterbacks that are young on rookie deals that they're very happy with. So that was never going to happen. But um of teams that might be open to looking at quarterbacks. Um, the, the Saints are the first team that comes to mind, but they don't do, um, they're not like this play action heavy, motion heavy offense that the Chiefs are. So I don't know 
I don't know if I like them, and of course I'm I'm completely unqualified to speak on this, um, so there's the caveat. But I don't know if they're the offense that I would really like to see Russell Wilson in, where the Saints are more like precision, short to intermediate passing, where they they don't really take advantage of deep passing, maybe because Drew Brees is really old. <laughs> it's okay. I was thinking it, and you said it. That's good. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, the the Chiefs are really the offense where, like, the last two years, I just watched them and and thought, I wish we could see an alternate universe with Russell Wilson in this offense just to know if he would be able to do the same things that Mahomes is doing. It's funny you mention that because last season Mike and I discussed that, hey, if Russell Wilson was playing with the Chiefs, they probably end up beating the Patriots and they go to their first Super Bowl for Andy Reid. I mean, that was what we were taking and hearing you speak on it. Maybe not so much. You're unsure if we did these crazy hypotheticals, that is. So I, so this might be just a homer take, but I think Russell Wilson is more accurate than Mahomes. He has a better deep ball than Mahomes. He can't do as many of the like crazy arm angle throws as Mahomes, but I think if he were in that offense with the number of open receivers that Andy Reid is able to scheme up, I think Wilson could lead the Chiefs to similar success that uh, Mahomes has. Yeah, you know, I think actually, you know, there's a, I think there's a lot of coaches out there who are, do a good job of like building around what their quarterback is good at. You know, not necessarily just those those guys you mentioned. I think Doug Peterson has done a, a decent job with that over in in Philly. Uh, I'd be interested to see what like a Bruce Arians would do uh, with uh, with Russell Wilson. There's been some uh, quarterbacks, or excuse me, some coaches who. Are, who are good at that, and I think that's a uh, what's the word I want to use? Critique of Pete that you and I have been both have is that man. It seems like this guy is just like reluctant to build an offense around this really, really, really good player, and he's rather build it around like an Eddie Lacy or something like that, which is which is a really bad. Twenty seventeen was rough. It was very, very dark, <laughs> um, dark times. Another one I throw in there, and I didn't watch them barely at all this year because they're really boring. But the uh, Who's the Colts? Co- oh, uh, Frank Reich. Yep, I was um, thinking that too. I, yep. I thought their offense was very well designed in, in 2018 when I watched them. So, if they like, it, it's it's hard to know what they were very run heavy in 2019, but they also don't have a great quarterback. But when they did have a good quarterback, um, he was another person that that seemed like he was good at designing offense. Yes, the only reason I didn't say him, I could not think of the coach's name. I was thinking <laughs> him as well. I was like, damn, who was there? All I could think of was Jacoby Reset. I was like, he's not the coach. But yes, no, I agree. There's some other, that's the main gripe that I think a lot of people can agree. Whether you want Pete to stay or go, you can agree that that part is very frustrating. And um, the one thing that I've, I've been told this, and I've not necessarily written it, uh, maybe I've implied it in pieces, and I know I have in, in tweets, is that I've been told a lot that people in the organization believe that with, when it comes to Russell Wilson, less is more, meaning that if he was asked to be like a, a Breeze or like a uh, or like Peyton Manning was or or like Mahomes now where there's coming uh, golf where they come out there and sling it, that he would lose a lot of efficiency, would lose a lot of his uh, overall effectiveness. And because the pass blocking is so bad, he would die. Um that mayor, I'm skeptical about that, but because of who I've heard it from, are very credible people who know more about Russell Wilson's strengths and weaknesses than maybe anyone else. So I, I don't necessarily dismiss it, but uh, wh- where are you on that whole idea? And have you maybe found like some numbers or anything, studied anything that says, man, that's that whole opinion is really off base? Yeah, so I'm whoever you heard it from, I'm almost 
I am definitely less qualified than them about football things, but this is one of those things where I I just do not buy it. So I think the the obvious thing to point to, and, and this was um, pointed out in uh, Mike Sandoz's piece that dropped right before the season about um, Pete Carroll and his philosophy and everything, but um, everything we know about rushing and passing says that passing is the easiest on uh, first and second down when the defense doesn't know if you're going to run the ball or not. So because the Seahawks are so run heavy, they wind up in third downs more often than other teams, and that's the hardest time to pass. So by thinking that they're making Wilson's life easier and trying to take things off his plate by running more, they're actually making more a higher percentage of his dropbacks on these third downs when it's the hardest to pass. So that's why I think if the Seahawks did run more or run less, then we wouldn't see a drop in his efficiency because more of his passes would be in situations where it's more advantageous to pass. Oh, you know what? I didn't even. Th- that does make sense. Yeah, it'd be you'd, you'd keep the ge- the defense guessing, I guess, in ways that they're not now because they're very predictable. I guess that that's the gist of that, right? Yeah, that's right. You on third down, especially third and long, defenses know you're going to pass, so they can. They can blitz, they can run stunts, they they can basically pin their ears back and pass them. So um, back percentage is higher, pressure percentage is higher. It's it's, um, it, it's a harder time to pass. But on first and second down, they have to respect the run no matter whether you're running 60% of the time or 30% of the time. Defenses can't just ignore the run. So they have to at least respect the run on first and second down. And that makes it easier to pass because the defense doesn't know what's Wow, I mean, I think we should just send this audio clip, all of this to Shadi. <laughs> I guess just send it to send it to Pete because it's just so frustrating that basically it is his offense, no matter who the the OC is uh, here. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna use another argument that I made in in, in my column is that, uh, and this is kind of where this is this is kind of my last straw with with Pete. This is the last thing I'm clinging on to. Like you know what, he should ride here just because he is so good at every at the other hard parts of his job. All the hard parts that you know, you look at all the bad organizations and why they're bad, their culture and their team and the locker room. Teams like the Bills over the years, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Browns, <laughs> both the teams in New York, Washington. All those teams have really just they all have one thing in common. Well, a they have bad ownership for the most part, but their cultures are bad. And Pete has that. Uh, he's got a good general defensive like identity there his teams like love each other play for each other brotherhood thing all the stuff that's very hard to establish and really the thing he needs to fix ultimately is like be more if i'm oversimplifying a little bit for the sake of the discussion but all that stuff you do in the second half do that earlier and i think most people in general would would be happy so i'm kind of at the point where you know if you just wait for him to have that light bulb click it's maybe a little bit uh, safer for the organization to just wait on that rather than like, you know what, screw this. Let's go hire the Chiefs OC and then hope he's good at all that other culture stuff and maximizes Russ. Like, we're, that's where I'm at. Where, where, where are you at on that idea right there? So I think we both agree that that would be the ideal situation. It would be Pete Carroll staying the head coach of the Seahawks and adapting to some of these easy fixes because the the percent of pass plays you call and whether or not you go for fourth down, like those are very, very easy decisions to make or change. It's not like it's difficult. It's just a decision that a coach has to make. 
Um, I think the question is how likely we think that is actually going to happen. And I think that is probably where you and I differ. And because you're the one that's actually around the team, we should probably <laughs> privilege your opinion more. But I think there's like a 0.5% chance or something that that happens. But maybe that's just my pessimistic side. So I, I think that if if that were the case and you did change, that would be the ideal situation. But I... I'm operating under the premise that that's not realistic. So the options we have are keeping Pete Carroll with all his strengths and weaknesses that we all know and agree on, or taking a shot into the dark and stepping into the unknown. No, that's fair. That's fair. Pete's what the oldest coach in the league, like expecting change from some, anyone who's dealt with old people. Who knows? Like, getting them to change anything <laughs> from how they sit, the color of their house, what f- their diet. You can't get old people to change nothing. So, you know, I'm, I'm with I, – I, I understand the, the pessimism, I guess I should say. The Seahawks had, I would say, a very interesting season. And the big question always arises, did they underachieve? Did they overachieve? After reading your piece, I wonder – Ben, where do you see this team with what the pieces they had, the opportunities they had? Did this team overachieve or underachieve under Carroll this season? So I think this is this is a good question, and I think it's hard to answer because of what happened in all the one-score games because mm. you could say um, this team isn't super talented, but they went 11-5 and five and they were – um, maybe a Malik Turner drop away from going to the NFC Championship game. And if, if they got to the championship game, then nobody could say they underachieved this season. But the flip side of that is they had a barely positive point differential, and <laughs> it took them going 9-2 and two in one-score games to uh, even get to the playoffs. And um, they beat a 40-year-old backup quarterback and then lost in the divisional round. So... I would, this this is definitely a cop-out, but I would say I don't think either overachieved or underachieved really fits. They kind of, maybe they went par or maybe a little underachieved considering the season that Russell Wilson had. So if I had to choose one, I'll, I'll say underachieved because Wilson probably had like at worst a top two or three quarterback season, but they didn't even get to the final four NFL teams. So from that standard, it's a, it's a bit of a disappointment. Mm, okay. Speaking of Russell Wilson, we know how important he is to that Seahawks offense. I mean, I could only imagine if Geno Smith had to be asked <laughs> to play any amount of time. What are your thoughts on the notion that Pete Carroll's a winning coach? Check. Or is it just the fact that Russell Wilson is back there and he creates – yeah, so this season, I, I do not think the Seahawks would have been a winning team without Russell Wilson. There's a lot of games that there's no chance they would have won without him. Um, like that first Rams game where he was amazing, uh, the Browns game, the Steelers game, Buccaneers game. Like there's just so many where, especially early in the season, where uh, Wilson was amazing and there wasn't a whole lot of help around him. Um, on Carroll specifically, so... He's probably at the level, just based on his accolades and career, he's probably at the level of a Hall of Fame coach. He's He won championships in college. He won, he won a Super Bowl. He went to another Super Bowl. But as an NFL coach, he had a losing record in the years 
when he doesn't have Russell Wilson and he's had an amazing, very, very positive record in the years he has had Russell Wilson. So that's why I'm not super convinced by the Pete Carroll has a 150 or whatever the record is as a Seahawks head coach. You're crazy for wanting to have him fired because a, a lot of his tenure has overlapped with Russell Wilson, who's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league during this time. So, of course, he has a winning record because he has a franchise quarterback, which is the rarest commodity out there. I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think we should just drop the mic and no, no, no. We got more. <laughs> we got more. We got, haven't been here. It's just so great because because I, me and Ben think a lot the same. Like we di- differ on a lot of stuff, but I feel like we have a lot more civil discussions than people who follow Ben on Twitter. Um, so I try to like have the civil discussions there that like get to what everyone's kind of thinking. Uh, when you mentioned a point differential, it clicked in something in my head. I always thought their one possession game thing was like it was not overstated or un- like it was it was very weird because I thought some of those one score games were like very misleading in what became a one score like the Panthers game like they were much better than the Panthers that entire game or, yeah the uh, Falcons game too uh yeah the Falcons game is another one um there's there's one I'm it's like the reverse the Saints game they were way worse than the Saints in yep. that game but they ended up scoring on an untimed down on the final <laughs> possession of the game to make it one score <laughs> like if will disley's not in or if there's not like a holding call or whatever it was in week three that's not even a, you know what i mean it yeah. was very it was very weird like when you how how did you see ben all of their one score games Cause i feel like their one score record was like somewhat accurate i feel like put it this way i feel like the point differential thing was maybe more useful because the one score thing I feel like it lacked a lot of context yeah, I agree with that. And there, there was actually a 538 article on that saying um, basically exactly what you just said. So some one-score games are misleading because the team was never really in danger of losing. Um, the Eagles game was another example of that where they, they won by eight points, but it never felt like they were going to lose that game. Right, the first um, Eagles the, game. The, reg, the regular season one, yeah. Even the playoff game, like, <laughs> it never really <laughs> felt like they were going to lose. Um so that article looked at instead of one score games, it, it looked like it looked at um, like something using win probability to look at um, how how in control of the game a team was or something like that. And instead of nine and two, which I think is was the Seahawks record in one score games, I think it was maybe five and one in games where the outcome was in doubt late, um, which. Um, I think same seems more reasonable because then you are throwing out games like the Eagles game, the the Panthers game, and the Falcons game, and the Saints game. So, um, so they 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 were lucky in both games, especially the the Rams and 49ers games that they won with with those missed field goals. But it wasn't quite as many games as just looking at the the one score record would indicate. Yeah, I've all, I always thought that every year, like not every year, like when I was writing about games, I'd be like. Like, after the Rams game, that first one, I remember writing about, like, how well things went. And in my head, I was like, man, if that dude was just, like, not a bad kicker, I'm writing in a completely different story off of one dude's leg. And I always that always felt weird. To me. The Niners game, too, I felt kind of gross being like, wow, they played really great. Which they played okay, but it was just like, man, if he just makes that kick. Did this they, is irrelevant. Did they play better or worse? Yeah. It's it's a... It's a, especially after Russ threw that pick, after Russ threw that overtime pick, and then he goes out and misses that kick. Or excuse me, if he makes that kick, I, I'm like, oh man, can't That's, do this, Russ. <laughs> yeah, no, it would have been the whole the whole thing on Russ would have flipped, you know, at, at at that point. It was it was yeah, I don't know. The, I'm glad I need to go find that 538 article because that does that does feel more accurate. It feels like the Bengals was legitimate one score, 
the Steelers, uh, the Browns. Yeah, there was some. Wow, the those Bucks. Are, those are some bad teams, by the way. That they. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> they're in one score games with. Uh, that's it's actually, embarrassing. Actually, Ben, let me ask you this: Is because a lot of Seahawks fans, I don't know, uh, Chris also asked for like a complete game from the Seahawks all year, which they never gave him. Do you think <laughs> the the fact that the Seahawks never like blow anybody out was is a big deal at all? I think. So I don't think it's a Pete Carroll thing, which is what some people said. Like Pete Carroll's um, approach to games is always going to result in close games. That's I don't think that's true because when the Seahawks were really good in 2012 through 2015, they blew out. Um, I think it was like an average of eight blowout victories a year or something like that. Mm, like ooh. they were just killing teams because they were really good. Um, so what the lack of blowouts tells us isn't necessarily how PCAL coaches. It just tells us that the Seahawks aren't the dominant team that they used to be back in the the height of the Legion of Boom era. Yeah, I think the Legion of Boom had, what, three games in a row with 50 points or something like that? No, Ridiculous. They put, yes. they put a 50-burger on the Bills in Toronto and a 50-burger on the Cardinals at home. I don't know who else they might have put one on. Do you know? There, there was um, the third game in that stretch was the that Sunday night. I think it was – 42 to 13 win over the 49ers and then that 49ers team got to the Super Bowl so that Seahawks team was good yeah no like they are definitely capable of blowing some teams out. I talked to some guys after some of those games I'd be like dude you guys are killing the fans blood pressure it is okay to blow some teams out and one guy was like dude we're trying he looked at me we weren't even doing an interview he was like he was like bro we're really trying it's just really really hard uh, I think all of us can agree me Chris Ben that they're not gonna fire Pete Carroll no, no matter what we say on this show, no matter what we write, no matter what we tweet, unless there is a uh, a riot outside a CenturyLink field, or maybe it should be outside of VMAC, Jody Allen's not going to come and bring down the hammer on Pete. So as we move forward here, let's spin it forward. First first thing, what, what do you think right now is the biggest problem with the Seahawks? Like what was their biggest problem in 2019, do you think? That's a good question. So the I think the options are... Uh, game management, roster mm. construction, and people getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And between the three of those, that's pretty hard. I would, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and and just the whole offensive philosophy thing. So I'll I'll say the the uh, <laughs> I'll say the latter, and I don't feel great about it, but um, I. I think they they could have been better with better coaching. Mm. I'm I'm gonna regret this answer in like thirty seconds. I I'm I'm really torn. What do you guys think? Uh, <laughs> you wanna go, Chris? Go ahead. I like the fact that you brought up the notion of game management because in all those games that were close, it comes down to management. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talked to Mike about the game against the Packers in which you see Shaquille Griffin trying to get the attention of the safety, Delano Hill, and saying, hey, we need you to double Devontae with our rookie, Nickel, who's guarding him. As a head coach, if you're seeing that, which I know Pete was, you got to be thinking, "Mm, I trust the kid, but you know what? We do have Shaquille Griffin. You have to call a timeout. I did say that Shaquille had the power. He could have easily blown a timeout. Yes, a lot of questions would have came up. Why would you call that timeout? If the Seahawks had won that game, they could have, made an opportunity to make a switch there and those are just little instances that I saw and you brought it up with management and I think that's key I would say there's about four games where it comes down excuse me to Pete being hesitant or throwing a challenge here that you're not going to win those little things 
just pile up. It became a snowball effect. And when it comes down to a game against the Green Bay Packers, you see it front and center. There's a matchup. Okay, I understand why he's in that position, but do you, you have a chance to go to the NFC Championship game for a berth or a Super Bowl, and you don't call a timeout, and you really trust this rookie who you've only playing he's only played, what, a handful of games, and you put him in one of the biggest moments? That's management right there. Perfect example. Yeah. Mike? Are you talking about the 32-yard catch Devontae Adams had? I just want to be clear, yeah. Yes, 30, exactly. 32-yard I mean, catch, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That, I, I agree 100% on just management. I would say that is the big one. Numero uno. Couldn't well, agree more. Uh, yes, before I answer, I, I looked up that 50-point stretch. I forgot they beat the Cardinals 58 to nothing. Uh, <laughs> you talk about a blowout. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, That's Super Bowl champions right there. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Somehow, yeah, you're right. The Niners are who goes to the Super Bowl that year. Um, let's see. I think the biggest problem I would say was talent. Uh, mostly talent on the defensive side of the ball. I think they were outmatched a lot of the time. Uh, I, there were so many games where it just looked like, man, the other team is just open today. Because uh, I don't think, I necessarily don't think the Rams are that much better than the Seahawks. Actually, they're probably not better. Uh, to be honest, I don't think the Niners. Uh, are like worlds better, just like in terms of like overall talent. But I think where all those te- where those two teams have an advantage, and I think where it looked like the Cardinals had an advantage, and that beat down another bad loss uh, was they just looked better offensively than the Seahawks did defensively. And I think people wanted all these switches and things like that, and stop running nickel, stop running base. I I don't think it ever mattered all year what formations they were running. The other team was good. You know they that had, day, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I against the, I was tracking when they were using nickel and dime versus the Packers. Every time they ran like nickel or dime, it was a first down for the Packers. Like every time, except in the first half, I think they got two stops, <laughs> which led to punts. Um, in the second half, that that was it. Otherwise, they were, you know, they were in dime. They're in nickel on the play. You're talking about Ugo. They're in dime on the play where Delano Hill barely stops Jimmy Graham short. It's a first down. So I always thought I was like, man, it's not even the formations. It's not the it's like they didn't have a pass rush. We didn't talk about the pass rush this whole episode. Uh, like that didn't have any talent there. I don't think uh, they had. They had talent. They there. had names. No, there's a difference between names and talent. They had talent. Ziggy's a name. He didn't have no talent this year. But that's we know what he's capable of. When what you he, say what he has done in the past, that's, that's my. And that's why I say he has talent. That's different than what he's capable of in the present, though. Well, that's, he, that's different. You're right. Yeah, that's a little little different, you know. Uh, so I think uh. to answer the question, I think I would go with talent. They, they, yeah, they did not have defensive. Ta- they needed Earl Thomas is who they freaking needed, and this they needed Richard Sherman is who they is is who they needed. And now uh, I'll spin this back to Ben here. All right, we know that we know Pete's not gonna. Let's say Pete's probably not gonna change a whole lot. Let's say he makes a little bit of adjustments because you mentioned earlier in 2019 or 2018 to 2019 there were there were some game script adjustments there that I thought were were good, and I see you you noticed them as well. So. What should the Seahawks do this offseason? I think we actually this last year as well. What sh- how should they – what should be their priorities this offseason, whether offense, defense, whatever? What, sh- what should they do? Put your uh, executive hat on and take us through the next few months for the Seahawks. So this is all assuming that um, Pete Carroll staying, and if Pete Carroll staying, then the coordinators probably aren't changing. Correct. Um, I, I don't think, again, who the defensive coordinator is, I don't think that really matters because ultimately it's going to be – Pete's baby. That that's the, what the defense is. Um, I obviously my best case scenario would be Pete Carroll hires some um, innovative offensive coordinator and starts building the offense around Russ. That's not going to happen. So what I actually hope happens is uh, so number one, 
I think they need to address the offensive line. Um, it was just not good in, in pass protection, especially, but it wasn't a, even a good run blocking offensive line, which is what they tried to put together in the first place. So it's going to be interesting seeing uh, if they let Jermaine Effetti walk, what the plan at right tackle is, and um, Dwayne Brown's not very young, so they're going to have to have a plan at left tackle at some point too, and um, what what they're going to do at left guard is another question, so that'll be kind of a question for the free agency slash draft period, and then they, they need other receiving options so that Malik Turner's not the one getting targeted with five minutes left in a divisional round game. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Will Disley comes back, but you can't count on someone coming off a Achilles injury. So I, I think they need to invest in wide receiver slash tight end options and give Russ other options out there. And right. of course the <laughs> pass rush is also an issue. Uh, uh, the cornerback opposite, um, Griffin probably needs competition. The slot corner is a question mark. So there's that's a lot of question marks out there. Um, luckily, they have a lot of draft capital this year. So um, I you the talent on the roster, and and I agree that that's a problem. And hopefully, they'll off season with the draft capital and free agency um, money that they have. You know, yeah, they got a lot of money and a lot of draft capital, uh, and they were a team that made a division around. That's like a good. That's one of my arguments kind of in favor of like, oh, you can get from like, if you're always in the hunt, it only takes a few bounces your way or getting oh so much better uh, if you keep someone like Pete. But I get what you're saying as well. One more thing before we get you out of because I just thought of it uh, when you were talking just now. The pass protection was bad this year. It was very, very not good. Do you, do you think that they don't, do they necessarily need like pass protectors that are like worlds better or do you think that, uh, maybe a game script change more in the other way of passing on earlier downs would make it so they're not, you know, on their heels as much and ultimately make the pass protection better. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And I do think if if more of their plays were, uh, especially play action, which really helps with pass protection, play action on early downs rather than on late downs, yes, that would help the offensive line, but it was um, even taking the situations – they were in into account. They were, they were very not good. So if, <laughs> if there was like a combination of getting them to a league average offensive line and putting them in better situations to pass protect, um, like that is not um, third and long as much, then I would be totally happy with that outcome. I think everyone would. Would you be happy with that one, Chris? <laughs> Absolutely. I think the Super Bowl is another warm weather place next year, so <laughs> I'd, I would be happy as, as well if I got to go there uh, f- for a week uh, for free. Ben, thank you so much for, for joining us as always, man. I love when you set the world on fire because it always makes a good show uh, for us. I love I love the uh, the wars you have with people on Twitter. Uh, it's very, very entertaining. It, it feels like the... It's like tradition versus like the nerds there and you've embraced it and it's great and it's like parody, but it's also really good football discussion built in as well. Thank you, sir, uh, for joining us. Let people know where they can follow you on Twitter and uh, where they can uh, read all of your work as well. Yeah, so I am on The Athletic Seattle, um, just like all of us, and on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. And as always, thanks for having me. Oh, 
All right, you guys listen to another episode of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. My name is Michael Sean Dugar, here with my co-host Christopher Kidd. Again, follow me at Mike Dugar uh, on Twitter, Chris. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. All right, on that note, we are out. You see, I don't have to drive me if you say that for your mama. Maybe you should smoke some and try the marijuana. I was never you good. The vibe was straight. Showed you a couple of things and they finished changed. I treated you right. Everything was a gift from a time to